0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at slash
1: Elite. If you know, then you know. It's those long nights, early mornings, I'm rolling down these old back roads, working all week, to all Willy Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you the racer 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and Top Loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, Ex-Girlfriend, (laughs) how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by And check them out at www.wildwillyfield.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. All right, guys. Autumn is in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch. And our friends at Manscaped are grooming, (laughs) if you know what I'm saying. Make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming. And they're brand new fourth generation performance package boys get ready for a cuffing season like no other now you got to be ready to take the leap and go into fall with our great friends at manscaped you can join the two million men worldwide using manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping By just simply using the promo code JED, that's J-E-D, and it gets you 20% off with with free shipping. Now, the Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. Everybody needs a Weed Whacker. You get to chop your worst weeds up (laughs) in the top of your nose and your ear. Now, I've got the Weed Whacker, and it works. So that whole chopping things up and putting it in your ear and your nose sounds scary. Don't let it worry you whatsoever. The nose and ear trimmer uses 9,000 RPMs of motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system to provide proprietary skin-safe technology. It's very safe. You're not going to hurt yourself. It's turning a lot of RPMs. It's chopping. You'll never know what's going on, and you'll come out fresh. This technology helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate areas. So seal the deal with Manscapes liquid formulations. These things are really nice and cool. The crop preserver. I think you understand what I'm saying when I say the crop. It's the area in your junkyard, if you know what I mean. They got deodorant for that. Now everyone knows pumpkin spice, lattes, and, and junk deodorant go hand in hand so you're going to love that scent and your partner is too then after trimming the pumpkin patch and whacking the leaves give your boys a boost and use crop reviver so you can not only preserve it you can revive it it doesn't get any better than that so get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the promo code jed that's jed at manscaped.com Again, 20% off and free shipping by using promo code Jed at Manscaped.com. Make your boys a priority this fall. Get those pants pumpkins trimmed up nicely. Choose Manscaped. Your pants pumpkins will thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new... You'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it.
0: Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, where we sometimes discuss adult film stars, Olympic athletes, and sportsman drag racers. Big Jed, it has been a couple of weeks. It is good to hear your voice. How are you, my friend?
1: Luke, I'm well, and it has been a little while, and uh, you did an interview show, I did an interview show, a really fun guest that we had on, but there's nothing like being here with you, and I say with you, you're in Illinois, I'm in Alabama, Marks in Pennsylvania, but we're together doing the show, and there's nothing like that, these are the ones I enjoy the most. Agreed. Agreed. I'm glad you
0: feel this, the same way. This is uh, this is fun stuff. It's been been on the road a little bit, been, been racing, been solo, twiddling my thumbs in a motorhome. Uh, it's good to be home, and uh, like I said, it's it's good to catch up with you, sir. Since we last talked, um, we've got. Garrett Griffith to talk about, first and foremost, young man on a roll. Uh, We'll get to that. But outside of his dominance uh, of of the last week, there really hasn't been a ton of newsworthy breaking uh, information on the bracket scene. We have a number of uh, big events on the horizon, two of which, Big Jed, you and I promote. Um, your Labor Day two fifty K obviously right around the corner at Bristol Dragway, as is uh, a couple weeks later our uh, our tenth annual Jegs Summer Door Car Shootout at my home track i fifty seven drag strip. So we'll get into this a little bit. Uh, I, don't wanna, I don't want to I don't want to to tease too much of the show, but we're going to go a little bit behind the curtain. We're going to take a little bit of a deep dive on the on the I don't know the the aspects of. Race promotion that you might not that might not come to to mind right off as a racer certainly didn't for us <laughs> as racers before we became promoters of our own right
1: that could be a show in itself Luke <laughs> good point good point <laughs> well, while we
0: don't have a a ton of bracket action to talk about uh, there's been no shortage of NHRA races uh, since the last time you and I talked Jed so we'll put get to that a little bit later in the show but. Uh, Definitely, some some performances worthy of note uh, that that shape the points battles as we uh, as we kind of wind down into the, the the towards the end of the season, right? As things begin to wrap up mm-hmm. and really get exciting in a number of these classes, so we'll break that down. Um, but first, I think the the mm-hmm. most um, um, notable news again isn't the the most exciting things, the, the most enjoyable things, certainly for us to talk about Big Jed, but we had another loss, big loss uh, within the racing community. This one, uh, not unexpected. Uh, this has been coming for a while, but uh, I don't care how uh, unsurprising it is, its is. You're never ready for the loss of a legend. And that's what we lost um, last week when Sam Biondo, the patriarch of the Biondo family, um, passed away. Thoughts and prayers to Sal, Peter, uh, the entire Biondo family, certainly. Um, but let's just spend a few moments remembering the life of Sam Biondo, Big Jed. I, I don't know your history with Sam directly. got the opportunity to uh, to interview Sam a couple of times for uh, part of that legend series that we did with Drag years ago. Um, what you, we use terms like, and he was a great man when we when we talk about someone that's passed on, but I don't know that anybody fits that description better than San Biondo. Much like we talked about Kyle Seipel, like leaves a legacy, yes, as a racer, San Biondo does. Yes, as a businessman, right? He was the uh, the founder of Biondo Racing Products. He was instrumental to our industry in a lot of ways, like in, in my mind, maybe not developed the first, but certainly brought the practice tree mainstream among so many other things that, that he and that company had done over the years. Um, but I think what, uh, stands out to me anyway, and, and, and perhaps to our generation is, the way that Sam was as a man, as a father, uh, obviously to, to Peter and Sal like that, that we're most familiar with, but his story is so incredible and amazing. And I, I can't imagine anyone being tasked with the lot in life that Sam was for those of you that, that aren't aware, um, P- Peter and Sal, the, the mother to his three children um, passed away when, when Peter was born, Peter's the youngest and Sam raised that family solo all the way through. And you couldn't ask for three better, more successful, more influential adults than the family that he raised. And as a parent yourself, Jed, like I don't think there's anything in life that you could possibly take more pride in. Uh, Sambiano had a ton of individual accomplishments, accolades, accolades, and and all of those worthy. But uh, I don't think anything can trump that. So again, we we lost we lost a good
1: one, big Jed. Luke, so very well said. Um... Obviously, Sam Biondo's impact will be felt on racing forever uh, with uh, his uh, involvement in practice trees and delay box development and those type things that will be used until the end of time in racing. So, it's incredible to think of the era in which he did that in the 70s when I never, I mean, I, I was around then I started racing in 84, even in 84, I was, I was blown away a couple of years later when I saw the first delay boss. And he, he did that a decade prior to me, even seeing it in Alabama and was building those things and, and doing innovation that would be felt in racing for decades to come. It's really incredible what he, his involvement means to racing that aside. Uh, when I met Sam Biondo for the first time, racing was the farthest thing from my mind. He, he was he was a polarizing individual just by how he carried himself. Um, I remember when I met him for the first time. I had my hat on. I removed my hat. I mean, I it, it was just instant respect that that he commanded just by the way he carried himself and and by the man that he is. And his legacy will live on in his children, Krista, Sal, Pete. You know they they all handle themselves extremely well due to their upbringing, which is due to Sam and not necessarily alone, but primarily alone. And it's really remarkable how this man was so knowledgeable about life, business. And he really, I mean, to me, he, he talked about how he listened to me announce and he liked to hear my son announce. And it's like all the things that he's got to do in his life and, and the, the pedestal that he could stand on and claim, you um, know, I mean, I'm Sam Biondo, he just took a genuine interest into other people simple people like me and and everyone else that was in his path answered the phone at beyondo racing products for decades wanted to answer the phone and be involved in the orders and helping customers choose the right product and just making sure they were taken care of and then you talk about his his legacy as a father um, you know who who could argue watching Peter and Sal and Krista go through life and how they've carried themselves? Who could argue against the way they were raised uh, by Sam? So uh, ultimately, I think that's what he hangs his hat on is how his children carry themselves uh, in life and, and the way that they, um, I guess, show their upbringing how solid and honorable it was. So I think that's what Sam Hangs has had on all the wonderful things he accomplished on the track and in the shop and in business, I think as a side for him. Uh, he he was he was a very proud father and a Biondo family member. And it's a tremendous loss to mankind and certainly to racing. But uh, we should all be so lucky to have the legacy that that Sam left behind and uh, he will truly, truly be missed, Luke.
0: Well said, as always, Big Jack, well said. All right. Um, brighter and, and, I don't know, more enjoyable topics to talk about on deck. But first, PJ North.
1: Did old-
0: in the time since we last spoke together, I'll be honest, there has been uh, surprisingly little on the big dollar bracket scene to talk about, but there has been even less that hasn't been won by one Garrett
1: Griffith. Have you kept up with the heater that this young man is on, Big Jed? Uh Luke, be totally honest. I have not kept up with it, but I did uh, catch up on some results today, uh, as I was scrolling through Facebook, obviously Garrett collecting a, a $15,000 payday at the Columbus fling. But, um, within that coverage of it, I realized what he did at Edgewater on the previous weekend, previous weekend, and <laughs> quite impressive. I mean, it doesn't matter really how old you are. If you're doing it, if you're, Kind of a senior, it's very impressive, but it's certainly equally impressive if you're 19. And this young man is uh, on quite the hot streak, Luke, and uh, certainly uh, still a lot left. There's $150,000 left to the winner alone at uh, Columbus this weekend. So, uh, Garrett, if you can keep riding that, he will do something truly special, but really remarkable performance by him of late.
0: Without question, Garrett Griffith uh, is, and this isn't new. He, his name has been among the the list of the, the growing list of young drivers that make us all feel like the future of our sport is very secure. And at the same time, make those of us in the sport shaking our boots a little bit, right? Not <laughs> like, yeah. somebody that you want to mess with got a little too secure. Yeah. Garrett has, uh, has cemented his name on that list for, for years. I think most notably he won the 50. year. It might even been a hundred grander at, uh, at Tyler Bohannon's race in Louisville a couple of years back to put him on the map. He's been a, a relatively consistent performer in the time since, uh, on the big dollar bracket stage at such a young age, but I don't think he's ever experienced because most racers have never experienced, uh, what would this be? Five days like Gary Griffith has had, uh, Griffith, you noted, we're recording now on, on Thursday evening. So there is, uh, what, two days open opening two days of the flinger in the books. Uh, Sean Parker defeated Jeff Sarah in the dragster race uh, to open things. And then uh, Wednesday's 15 grander was won by Garrett Griffith. Garrett Griffith won Wednesday's 15 grander at Columbus on the heels of winning Sunday's 10 grander at Edgewater on the heels of winning Friday's 10 grander at Edgewater. That young man and his beautiful S10 that does nice wheelies on one heck of a roll.
1: Yeah, Luke, uh, he took out a young gun that It's on quite a hot streak over the last many months in that final last night, and that was uh, Bailey Ferraro. But Garrett has been doing this, I think, just as soon as he turned 16. He was, uh, he was put in a big car and started out you know, winning races, uh, maybe on the local level and then, you know, winning some, some mid range, big money, five to 10 grand races, maybe win a couple of those, but young man's been doing this now been on his winning streak in the big cars for a few years. And, you know, I think it's fairly obvious that uh, we will continue to see his name show up at the top of the list, uh, as these, uh, these big money races are happening here out on the East coast. Cause this young man is talented obviously competent and has phenomenal equipment to go along with all that talent and ability so i think uh, he'll be a mainstay in the winter circle around these parts for quite some time
0: so as we record uh, as we mentioned Columbus fling in full swing. Obviously, we'll we'll recap that on a future episode as the the more lucrative uh, days and results are yet to come. Um, A couple other big races on the horizon, obviously, we're uh, a week removed from the NHRA U.S. Nationals and the JEGS All-Stars. Probably have a show dedicated more or less to previewing that next week. Um, The other big Labor Day event, Big Jed, is uh, is one that you're putting on. We've actually both got... um, our own self-promoted races on the horizon. Uh, yours uh typically would be one that uh that we would discuss a little bit more if we weren't promoting it on the show. So let's lead with that. Tell me a little bit about where you guys are at on the Labor Day 250k coming to Bristol next weekend.
1: Yeah, Luke, the the BT Labor Day 250k uh is on the, you know, the second year, but it's the first year with this format. We it was the Labor Day 100k last year. Uh, paid 10000 Friday and Sunday and 100000 on Saturday. Uh, we all know Caleb Ellison got that big win on Saturday and won the, the most at a footbreak-only event that's ever been won. Um, this year, we changed the format a little bit. We guaranteed 100000 once again on Saturday, but uh, $275,000 was our car count last year. So we decided if we go over two seventy five this year, it'll pay $110,000 and every 25 car increment up to four seventy-five. dollars and, you know, in uh, and, and all honesty and transparency, we'll never get there, but uh, every 25 car increment, we're going to pay more up to 250000 So, 100000 is what it's going to pay no matter how many show up and 10000 on Friday and Sunday again, you know, we're, uh, we're, just a week out basically today from getting started so we'll start with our test and tune in gamblers race next thursday in bristol and uh then we'll move into our main event races friday saturday and sunday with of course uh, monday being labor day and a nice travel day for people to get back home without missing any work or having to take any additional time off so Our pre entries are about 15 entries short of where we came into the race last year. We ended up at 275 last year. So, you know, I'm anticipating falling all over that same number this year, but I'd love to see it get to 276 and us be able to pay 110,000 this year. But regardless of what happens, it's going to pay at least a hundred thousand dollars. We've got great sponsors, got six rounds of round prizes from our awesome sponsors, got some specialty awards from uh, great sponsors as well. And, um, our round money's a little better this year. Our entry fee is a little less this year than it was last year. So we just tried to, uh, improve the race as much as we could and make it favor the racers just a little bit more. And, you know, Obviously, uh, there's there's a lot of big money racing happening these days, and a lot of big money races aren't seeing quite the results that they saw last year. and it looks like we're falling into that same category. So I think we're going to maybe fall just a tad short of last year's number or could get by at just an inch or two. Either way, it's going to be an awesome event. Um, we're very thankful to have the crowd that we've got coming. I think uh, again, our, our weather is showing right now it's early but it's showing right now to be excellent so that's going to be a, a helpful thing for us to to get um you know as many entries as we can and hopefully beat last year's number uh, just uh, really anticipating a, a great crowd and a great event Luke so I'm excited about it and ready to get up on the mountain again well, anytime that you're guaranteeing hundred thousand dollars to win, that's going to be a
0: special, special day for a lot of people involved, but especially for the winner. I think, uh, just like you do, like uh, it would be even cooler to one up yourself, basically. And and if you're able to raise that purse this year, I'm curious, Jed, from from your standpoint as a promoter, what is the juxtaposition? between this event and the wfc because i think of the prestige and the brand that you've built around the wfc and correct me if i'm wrong and mark you could even jump in on this as well like the way that i my perspective on that is it's sort of the it's definitely the destination race among footbreakers and you've sort of positioned it as the the everyman's race right like i feel like there is a percentage of the wfc crowd that comes just to, to say, like, I was at the WFC, whether or not they even really feel like they're necessarily competitive. When you raise the stakes like this, you obviously you have a lot of uh, overlap in, in the, the, the fields between your two races, but I think you weed out a lot of that, right? Like, I guess my biggest question is, how do you have any concerns or how do you guys, because I know that you do, Guarantee that type of money and the all of the electricity and the atmosphere that comes along with that, and keep the race as fun and as welcoming as say the WFC has always been.
1: A great question. I think your perception of the two events and how they have some similarities and some differences in terms of crowd is spot on. Uh, the WFC, while they're they're only two months apart, Luke, they're They're really in two different areas of of, uh, availability for people. So, you know, you got the WFC. This is around July the 4th week or weekend, and that's a time when you're not, your kids aren't playing baseball. They aren't playing football. There's no graduations or school starting or a lot of things going on and that's typically a time when people are taking a little time away from work so it seems to work out extremely well for uh you know your serious foot and your kind of um, non-traveling professionals if you will this we we get a lot of people that say you know it's just on my bucket list i wanted to be here uh, while it's still a serious investment for the racer, July the fourth weekend at WFC, it's a it's more of an affordable event and uh, an event that allows people to come enjoy themselves and not break the bank, if you will. And certainly, it's a time of year when you know they they just don't have a whole lot of other things going on. Then you you fast forward to Labor Day weekend. You've got school has just started for most of the country. Um, Kids are playing high school football. They're doing other activities, maybe playing some park ball, some fall ball. Um, You know, honestly, some of the grownups are playing in leagues themselves, softball and what have you. So there's just a whole lot of other things that would occupy someone's time around Labor Day. That doesn't occupy it around July the fourth. So, you you limit a lot of your just going to have fun type crowd right there. And then, it's a thousand dollar weekend entry. So, that's not something that people spend uh, lightly. You know, with without you know considering their real opportunity to get that investment back. And quite frankly, the the disparity between great foot brake racers and people that just don't get the opportunity to, to do it on that level very often and see different tracks and different trees and adjust to it quickly is very large, you know, Luke, I, I'd guess if you go to a super pro average, super pro race has got 300 entries. I mean, honestly, 250 of those are capable of winning the race. Agreed. Yeah. At 300 foot breakers, that number's probably more along a third of it or slightly less than 40%. And that's not saying that anybody just can't win, but if you're just making your average run, that, that 100 to 125 of those guys, or their average run is just going to beat most everyone else. So uh, that that disparity between great and people that just do this for fun is is very big. So I think that, again, with the investment of the Labor Day event and the stakes on the line and, you know, what uh, what the racers will potentially have invested when it's all said and done, they, they think about their the reality of getting that investment back. And if they feel like it's limited, it stops them from coming, along with all those other factors that I talked about outside of racing. So I think that's the main difference in these two. But as far as the promotion effort and what we, uh, ask the sponsors to do for us and those things, uh, it's, it's a, you know, an identical format and we try really hard to make it fun and enjoyable, but we not, we're not fooling ourselves into thinking that everyone in the lanes don't understand what they're doing on Saturday when they're foot brake racing for a guaranteed hundred thousand dollars. Yeah that seriousness is felt in the lanes every, you know, that's why I say every year we've only done it once, but it's felt in the lanes for sure. And I'm sure we'll see that again this year. No, I mean, to your point, I've said this for years. And if I've said it on the show before, I,
0: I apologize, but I feel like just take your random Saturday night racetrack, right. And you take the, the best, most experienced, however you want to classify it, top bulb racer there. And the, the, worst or the the least experienced, the most green top ball racer there. And you take their average reaction times for the night and like the the more experienced racer is going to be better, but it might be like 200s better, maybe, right? You take yep. those same two and take away their delay boxes, take away their trans breaks, especially like make it foot brake only. And the discrepancy between the best foot brake racer there and the the, the novice or the, the rookie, I mean, they may be too t- hence average reaction time. You know what I mean? Like that, that is the 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 double-edged sword, right? That's how you look at it is whether that's the beauty of the electronic age or the downfall of it is that it does create you know, more parity. And in what you're doing, like you said, I think that the discrepancy between the uber talented racer and even the, the average racer, particularly the novice, definitely gets more exaggerated. It's interesting from a, from a promotional standpoint because you've got a unique setup there at bristol because you've got a destination facility in addition to two destination races and if i were a a serious foot brake racer which i was one day and and plan to be again someday right like uh, obviously racing for huge money would appeal to me and if i'm going to race for huge money there's no place i'd rather do it than a destination facility like bristol dragway right so juxtapose that to my own experience every race that 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 we've promoted has been at i-57 drag strip i love i-57 drag strip it will not be confused with bristol dragway right like they're two opposite ends of the spectrum right <laughs> so with that in my in our experience like we've got our summer door car shootout which is I don't want to belittle the WFC by putting them on the same plane, but in this, in the context of this conversation, it's similar in that it is, you know, like the every man's race. We have a lot of regional door car racers who look at this event to encircle it on the calendar. Like it's one of their favorite events of the year. Right. Um, and then we've put on a handful of races in the past for nothing like $100,000, but for more money, right? That was structured in, in such a way that we got a little bit more uh, serious crowd, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. And, and I'm just telling you, like, it's, I don't think it's, well, it's a combination. It's a combination of raising the, the stakes, right? The, the entry fees, the, 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 the cost of competition. And, uh, and, and raising the stakes in terms of what's available to the winner. But I just felt like the whole vibe of our race changed. And like I say, it may have been the fact that we were limited a little bit by facility, but I just felt like as a promoter, I'm like, man, this isn't nearly as fun. Like these people are taking this way too serious. You know what I mean? And it's like every, <laughs> yeah. not to say that every round doesn't matter at the summer door car shootout, but it's just a, it was a more fun vibe to the point that I was like, I don't, I don't I I wouldn't say again like I think facility has a lot to do with it, like I wouldn't say that I don't want to put on races like that like I didn't really want to put on races like that here. Like it just didn't seem like a natural fit, whereas what you've got at Bristol it is, Uh, I guess what I'm getting at take me behind the curtain a little bit, because these are kind of deep nuanced promoter type conversations. And in addition to racers, obviously we're both, in addition to racers, in addition to podcasters, we are, we are both fancy ourselves as race promoters of some ilk. What the average racer listening, what is the single biggest thing, Jed, that they, or perhaps you had no idea of would never give a second thought about putting on a race until you actually put on a race? Because I can just say on a lot of levels, it's a whole lot harder than it looks.
1: It is much more difficult than it looks. And, uh, you know, that's a testament to those that make it look easy. Okay, Luke, Uh, because they work extremely hard and they try to make their events as seamless as they possibly can. And some people pull it off very, very well, but it is not easy. Even when it goes easy, it's hard. So what I probably had the least amount of knowledge or expectation of is how many people and look we're fortunate that we we've gotten over 500 entries the last couple of years and it got well into the 400s years before that so there's a lot of people coming but the amount of people that reach out and ask questions that are on the flyer are it's incredible I mean and I, I hate to I hate to make it sound like I'm I'm not thankful for everyone that shows up, but you know, you just get bombarded. And it's like you spend time, money, and effort putting everything you can possibly put on the flyer. And Luke, if I get one message or call every year about the WFC, I get a hundred that want to know how much it is for spectators to get in. And it's clearly on the flyer and if they say i just i literally an hour and a half
0: ago had this conversation with my wife and she was so frustrated she's like i keep getting these messages can these people not read
1: (laughs) i mean it's you found my number and you were able to call me or you you found how to message us Yeah, that was on the
0: flyer too right
1: (laughs) yeah so you found that through world footbreak challenge facebook page or or maybe the website you emailed us but you didn't see that big old flyer that we got right there for you to to look over so just people i think it's just habit that people say okay there's a race and i want to know something so i'm just going to message them and you know it's again it's it's something i never dreamed was done at the level that it's done each year and but I know it's a product of how many people that we have interested and how many people that we have wanting sure. to be there and planning to come so right it is a good thing but it I, is sound kind of <laughs> <laughs> I sound unappreciative I sound unappreciatively <laughs> I'm not but it is incredible how many people reach out and ask you questions it's on the flyer or how much are buybacks you know I'm like wow <laughs> it's, it's, it's all gone. it's right there. <laughs> you yeah, know we made sure that information was on there brother what uh what i get uh in terms of feedback a lot is like at the event
0: man you guys like you really yeah are, are are in it right now you know like you got a lot going on this is this looks stressful and uh i'll be honest i don't know how you feel like at the event itself i uh, yes that there are things that come up that are perhaps a little bit unexpected and there are stressful moments to be certain but by and large i find that the event itself pretty exhilarating as a promoter like you're you've you've got a lot of time and energy invested in planning and thinking and then to watch it all come together and i don't know about you jed like your your day job may offer a lot more of this than anything that i've ever done i don't I cannot think of another situation in which I've ever been in the position to make literally decisions, some big, some small, but ultimately like everything comes back to me just one after another, after another for, I don't know, like 18 consecutive hours, three days in a row. And there's a a little bit of a transition. Position phase, you know, where that feels overwhelming, but at some point, like it's just exhilarating. Like this is awesome. Like I'm, everyone's coming to me to find out what to do next, and I don't, like I say, I don't know that I've ever been in that position, and I kind of dig that. Like I wouldn't want to do it every day, but for those three days of our event, like that part's actually fun to me.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Again, very well said. I think we have very similar views on that. Um, It is humbling. It is, uh, you know, unbelievable. You know, and and Luke, uh, you've done an unbelievable job of what you've helped I-57 accomplish and what you've accomplished there yourself, and you did it and times where it wasn't nearly as accommodating as it is now it was a you know you parked every single rig and worked your tail off got there early during the week and marked off spots and figured out you know a 60 foot rig can go here and an 80 foot rig can go here and here's for an open trailer i mean i couldn't imagine what it takes to to do what you've done there Uh, so you have to have a, a a huge level of satisfaction when you sit back and you're able to look over that place from the tower now and and see what you've accomplished. But there's nothing like standing on top of the tower at Bristol, Um, and there's nothing like standing up on the the hill on either side at the top and looking out over the pits and the lanes and just seeing what two bumpkins from Alabama and Mississippi uh, have helped create, uh, especially when you've got 500 and whatever entries and they're parked everywhere they can possibly park and you filled up bristol dragway uh it's it's an unbelievable feeling it's it's one of uh, tremendous pride and and again um being thankful and blessed to be able to be a part of it but it is truly incredible how what steve's vision no pun intended (laughs) he's my man so i can say that nobody else can say that but i can (laughs) uh what what his vision really uh, has has helped create and and you know we we both worked hard but when you look over that facility and it's full of foot brake racers and people staying in tents and sleeping in their trailers and showering in a shower house and you know, they're out cooking breakfast first thing in the morning and they're piled up six or eight in a line on the row where they've stretched out all the tape and chairs and gas jugs for their buddies to park with. them. it's like, this is incredible. You know, it truly is remarkable to be a part of it. So, uh, that that's just a a huge feeling of, of blessings and humility.
0: Yeah, no, it's similar here. Like I, I, I I think that's ultimately the reason why we do this and continue to do this. But no, on your end, like even from a broader picture, like what you guys have done really for the sport as a whole, but specifically for the style of racing that you love, you know, that, that you've endeared yourself to for so long. I mean, how long has the WFC been going on now? This was the 13th. It was our 15th. This was, oh, well, Okay. 15th. Yeah. 16 years ago, could anyone have ever dreamed that you would have multiple $100,000 to win footbreak races that would be successful? No, <laughs> no, like that was unheard of. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's um, not possible. right? And, and to establish what you've established, and, and I think I don't know, you've got a better perspective on this. Like, I feel like now, today, footbreak racing is specific foot brake racing, you know, not just bottom ball racing, foot racing seems to be as strong as ever. I mean, I know it's got geographic pockets in the country, but there was a time that it seemed like it was dwindling. And I feel like your race specifically, maybe a handful of others just kind of kept that flame burning and ultimately it gained momentum again. Like you've got to take tremendous pride on a lot of levels for that Uh, on our end. It's a, it's a different magnitude, but, um, to see what our little racetrack has become. And again, it will, it will never be confused with a, with a national event facility, but uh, there's been a lot of money poured into I-57 Drag Strip over the course of the last five, six years. And we didn't really have anything to do with that. But the five years leading up to that, our event was a big part of how that facility could remain in operation right? Like it was basically oh, no doubt. the biggest moneymaker of the year for four or five years there. And to know that like we played a role in continuing to have racing in our area, like that's something that we take a lot of pride in. And the similar to, to, to your crowd and, and the way that they patronize the WFC, like the way that people just love our event and coming to that facility, like that, that makes it all worthwhile too. So, but I, to go back to, to answer the question that I posed to you, Jed, the, the, the aspect of this that I never would have dreamed of as a racer and would impart on those of you that are racers, you know, listening is you, I cannot undersell the amount of, to me, like this is the, the, the stressful time, right? Like we got to the, that's, I guess what I was getting at earlier, like the ad event is, is kind of exhilarating, uh, the weeks and really even months leading up to it is the part that I don't want to say that I don't like, but is so much more taxing and tedious. Like you've got to put together all of the the sponsorship and backing stuff, which that's fine, right? That that's something that I I, I enjoy on some level. Um, but it's the the amount of thought and planning that goes into making something like this happen. Like I've got every year of the door car shootout in folders on my computer and i don't know how much memory that takes up in terms of just the documents the procedures the there is so much that goes into it because ultimately in a perfect world you want to think through every possible situation that you can encounter and this gets easier with the experience because you encounter most of them and, yes. and think okay well how could i handle that better <laughs> right but um, there's just so many things that come up and, and that could come up and you want to be prepared in advance, right? And you want to have an answer that you basically want to have it on the fly or on the website or whatever. So you got something to go back to, right? Um, but that to me, I, I just don't think until you do it that you can possibly appreciate the level of preparation that goes into doing it right. And watching the way that you and Steve do it, watching the way uh, the Peter and, and obviously uh, Kyle did it. Um, like the, the attention to detail is just so impressive. And I think to me, that's what, that's what makes the races that I enjoy going to stand out, but it is so much more work than you realize.
1: Yeah. You, you're not going to fake your way through it. I promise you. Uh, it, it takes tremendous commitment to your program and, and a belief in what you're putting together and then you got to promote it the right way and there's a there's a fine line there and doing it too much and not enough you, you got to find that keep it in people's line of sight but not pound them with it because they get sick of seeing it and it tunes them out so there's a there's a lot of stuff that you just don't think about when you're putting races together and when you finally get there, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this is how this works or that works or this is what was going to happen. So you do take that information, like you said, Luke, and you learn a lot from it as you see each scenario and situation presented. So a um, so ton of work. Uh, I, I certainly wish that everyone could get on that side of it at least yeah, once. It changed my perspective as a racer, no doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt it does, and and I'm certainly not uh, as quick to condemn promoters or uh, track owners or anybody that that I feel like could have handled a situation better or put on a better event. I don't I don't tear them down near like I used to um, before I was putting on races, and that was kind of what led us to ours. You know, we were sick of certain things happening when we go to combo races where we're footbreaking, super pros getting all the attention and the money and all those things. So that's what led us to do it in the first place. And then, um, you know, once we did it, we we had a better, uh, a much higher level of respect for some of the people that we run down uh, in our promotion effort or in our thoughts of promoting a race. So uh, it does change your perspective. I, I think, um, everybody needs to get on that side of it at least once and see how it works. And and I think they would handle a lot of things differently, but if anybody out there is thinking about doing it, um, certainly encourage you to do it. Just, um, you know, make the, the, the formula simple, put on a race that you would like to go to and that you think would be fun. And that usually is a good recipe to get you started and and, uh, the work starts from there but it it is just like you say Luke all the the stress happens prior and then when you get there you know you you do tend to relax just a little bit if you've covered your base as well and and got everything ready yeah I agree the uh, I'll,
0: I'll make one more comment now, and I, I feel like I, I might need to be a little bit careful about how I phrase this because again I don't want to come off as unappreciative and this may but <laughs> I will say, you don't, I don't expect you to comment on this, but you obviously are welcome to. I will say you as a racer, you don't, you may think that, you know, your competitors, you don't know your competitors until you put on a race that they come to, because I've got racers that I've looked at for years. And that guy's kind of a loose cannon. Like I bet if you ever put on a race, you'd have a hard time with him that are just the most Gracious, grateful, happy to be there, like no problem. Right. And then you've got racers that you just think are the most unassuming, just go about their business that will whine about every little thing. And it's just, it was an eye opener. Like the first time we put on a race, I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's all just a complete 180, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you just never would have imagined until you are on the other side of the pay window
1: oh very well said you I know you said I don't have to comment but yeah that is that is 100 percent correct uh, never never saw that in some folks but uh, it does happen and you're like man how do you how do you get how do you get through the the day at the racetrack you just seem to be looking for something to be pissed off about but, um, yes you know again Uh, you know, just little things like track conditions. You know, I know we haven't always provided a perfect racing surface. There's been other factors, sometimes heat and it gets sticky and sometimes it's rained and you know, the, the rubber's not sticking as well as you want it to. And you got to fight those things. But reality is for me, what I've learned is no matter where I'm racing, if I'm having any struggles whatsoever, Before I go get on the promoter or the track owner, I go to the fence and I look and see, is anyone going down this racetrack with anything close to what I'm throwing at it? And it, and they always are Luke. And when they are without fail, when they are, I decide, well, you know, I'm the problem here. I mean, (laughs) I, I get that it hooks at home and it does every time I go down the track, but it ain't hooking here. So I better figure it out because this guy's doing wheelies and this guy's doing wheelies and this car's running as fast as I run. So you know, I, I'm I've gotten way more tolerant of difficult track conditions than I used to be, and that putting on races has helped that a lot.
0: Wait, so you're trying to tell me that the problem could be like me or something that I could halfway <laughs> control? There's a chance. Get the hell out like, of There's here. a chance. That's that sounds like a track promoter. Like it's a, a guarantee right there. That <laughs> sounds like a race promoter right there. Get <laughs> get out of my face with that big Jed. Uh Jed, uh, let's I wanna I wanna transition. I wanna we talked a little bit of bracket race. And that kind of turned into a a behind the curtain promoter. Hopefully some of you enjoyed that. I I, I feel like we're venting more than anything, but that's good stuff. Um, I I do want to turn the page a little bit to some NHRA stuff because there actually has been a fair amount of NHRA racing on the schedule since the last time that you and I talked. But let's take a quick break before we jump into that. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises, that's BTE, here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing.com. .com. In NHRA news, Big Jed, Austin Williams still owns Topeka. Austin did well at Topeka. Hmm. Newsflash. <laughs> it almost so, never happens. <laughs> I think the last time that we talked, Jed, was after the double divisional at Topeka, where Austin nearly ran the table, as he typically does. He won the first leg of the divisional in Super Comp, backed that up with a runner-up in Stock Eliminator, Fast forward a few weeks to the national event at Topeka. Austin Williams once again hoists the Wally. National event win number six at Heartland Park, Topeka. Trivia time. oh, Big Jed, there is one, one sportsman competitor that has more wins at Heartland Park, Topeka than Austin Williams. This one's a layup. Can you tell me
1: who it is? Uh, Well, I did not know what trivia was going to be. I did see trivia time in the notes. Uh, It's in Kansas. It's got to be somebody that's very well known and, uh, you know, known to be a great racer. I would say Gary Stennett. That's a fair guess,
0: but you're overthinking it. Stennett has won three times at Artland Park, Topeka. The only sportsman driver to win, a mass, to, to, to leave Heartland Park with more trophies at a national event. If you took divisionals too, Austin may be, may be in a league of his own. Um, but at, at the national level, it's only David Rampey. David Rampey has won nine national events at Heartland Park, Topeka. Um, Austin now, with his sixth national event win, is tied with one Tommy Phillips for the second most wins at that facility. If I'm not mistaken, Tommy held the deed to Heartland park Topeka before transferring ownership to Austin a few years back. Uh, Edmund Richardson has won there five times. Matt Driscoll four national event wins at Topeka. And then there's a slew of racers with three.
1: Wow. That's, uh, that's a, that's shame that, I, I missed Rambo being a home, you know, a homer like I am, but I thought it was a layup for you. I figured you'd be Bama strong. Uh, if if you
0: weren't going to guess Rampy, I figured you'd guess Strickland. But,
1: yeah, right. I should have. <laughs> Huge should failure on my part. I did. don't think I deserve to be on this podcast, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that later.
0: Austin's win. <laughs> yeah, are you, are you, are you, are you <laughs> stating that or are you requesting
1: that? I'm just I'm opening the door for you, man. <laughs> if you got to get rid of me. I get it. it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> austin's super comp win uh,
0: came at the expense of christopher dodd reigning nhra world champion christopher dodd who advanced to the final round it's actually like the third maybe fourth time that this season that those two division four standouts have gone head to head uh this time austin gets the better end of it and it makes the super comp chase really intriguing jed like i We'll dig more into points as we, as we get closer to the end. And while we're more than halfway through the the physical calendar, uh, we're not much past the halfway point in terms of events, uh, on the NHRA tour. Uh, there's a lot of national events left, depending on the division. There's a lot of division races left. I mean, division seven hasn't really even got started yet. So there's going to be a lot change and there's a lot that can happen, but if you just look, uh, on, on a cursory, I guess, at the the top of the super comp standings, it's really intriguing, Jed, because no one's running away with it. But the racers that have posted solid scores to this point that basically make up, say, the top 10 to top 15, they're almost all names that you would recognize and names that you would expect to see there. We've got Ray Miller, Sherman Adcock, the aforementioned, mentioned Christopher Dodd, the aforementioned Austin Williams, Gary Stinnett, uh, who you mentioned, who is riding uh, a pretty hot streak of his own. Uh, Within the last month, Stinnett won the divisional event at Great Bend in Kansas. That was the week prior to the Topeka national event. And then just uh, last weekend, capped that stretch with a win at the Brainerd national event, the way that Austin Williams owns Topeka, by the way, is the way that Carrie Stinnett owns Brainerd. I believe that was his sixth National Limit win at that facility. So you've got Stinnett, the, the the most illustrious racer in the history of the category, uh, in addition to Ray Ray, in addition to Sherman Adcock, Christopher Dodd, Austin Williams, John Laboose Jr. is in that mix. Like basically you look through the top dozen or so in SuperCon and go, Oh yeah, I could that that guy could win the title, right? And yeah. and nobody no real differentiation between them. Like it's going to come down to what happens over the course of the next two months, I think far more so than what's happened to this point in the season.
1: Yeah, obviously you've got household names, like you said, uh, people that have won championships, people that have gotten very close. I mean, you're, you're talking about an all-star list right here, Luke. So uh, this is going to be fun to watch again, even if you're not, if you don't nerd out, like you say, on the points chases, if you just like to see good racing with a lot at stake and some very talented people chasing the prize, you're going to love watching the super comp, uh, field get after this championship. So it's, uh, it's probably going down to the wire for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun
0: to keep up with. I'm fired up just to, to, to be a fly on the wall at this point, uh, Ray Ray is is, is the leader on paper. But again, like there's just not much differentiation between that top group. I'd actually say, just looking at the scores, like a lot could change, right? It could change over the course of the next two weekends, but just looking at what's on paper right now, like if you had to, to, to award a favorite, it's slim, but it might be Stinnett and Gary Stinnett. I think, uh, he was telling me, I believe here he's 59 years old. He's won this thing four times, and he's still performing at the level that we expect mm. of him. Like it's really impressive. Um, I've said for a month or so, I nerded out on Superstock a while back. I said, "Hey, this is going to be fun to watch because the the five racers that really seem to be separating themselves from the pack—they're all former champions. They're all five household names." Well, that's already coming to fruition, Big Jed. It. There have been haymakers just thrown back and forth over the course of the last three weeks between Ricky Decker. Ricky Decker goes and wins the Indy Points meet, what, two, three weeks ago? Just staples that up on the wall, says, All right, here it is, boys, come get it. The very next weekend, Joe Santangelo goes and wins the divisional event at Brainerd, which was like a Wednesday, Thursday leading into the national event at Brainerd where Anthony Bertozzi answers with a haymaker of his own, wins the national event there. Uh, Those three with, with those results separate themselves a little bit, but what the, the two that, he didn't talk about today that I talked about a month ago. Jody Lang, Greg Stanfield—they're all very much in the mix. And this is a fluid, fluid thing, right? Like similar to me saying that I, I think if you asked me to stack odds right now in Supercomp, I would I would put Gary Stinnett slightly at the front. In Superstock, I think right now I would put Ricky Decker in that same position. Ricky Decker is going to go to Bowling Green and Indy the next two weeks, right? And it's so fluid and so fragile that if he has two early exits, that's going to change. Or on the flip side, like you could see Greg Stanfield win one of those events or one of his next events, or Jody Lang go, he could go win win at a double divisional in Phoenix or something like that within the next month. And this whole thing's going to change. I think it's probably going to be one of those five, but who ends up hoisting that crown at the end is anybody's guess, and it is going to be fascinating to watch.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Uh, as you talked about the the people that are throwing haymakers, and there's still others in the mix. uh Luke, I, I assume most, if not all, of the the players here will be competing in Indy, and I'm guessing is probably the most rounds you can win. You're not going to see a field that. It gets to the max at any other event, are you? No, but where quotas allow it,
0: where um, say super comp could and and oftentimes does actually go eight rounds at Indy, where it it adds more points to the total. Like your stock and super stock field is capped at 128, so you could have an issue where a championship contender struggles to qualify, but the race itself is going to be a a seven-round race. Like at this day and age, a lot of the divisional events are six-round races, but the win points would be the same for a six to a seven. So it's not like you get that extra bump, but it is much more competitive. It's gonna be a full 128 car field. There will be no buy runs. There will be no playing of the ladder. Uh, in in that regard, you're going to be playing the ladder to try to avoid heads ups and things of that nature. Um, and and we've seen situations in the past where championship hopefuls come in indie and can't even make the show because there's typically, uh, I think last year was a little bit different. I haven't looked at the entry list for this year, but it's not uncommon to go into indie and have 180 super stockers trying to make 128 car show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some of those huge fields trying to get in and I know it gets tricky there on that last day or so, uh, with the, how the, the Hemi cars kind of qualify and, yeah. go to, and go to the house, right. and run their race and go home. So, uh, it'd be interesting to see who gets in, who does not how that impacts the race. But, uh, I guess either way, if one of these guys can go to the to the Winter Circle in Indy, uh, they probably are setting themselves up extremely well. If they go to the Winter Circle anywhere, they will. But Indy, especially, it just seems like that'll that'll help them propel them forward to give them a great opportunity to to hoist that trophy at the end of the year. But uh, with the list that uh, that you've got laid out here, it's uh, it should be an incredible points chase and another huge battle till the end, where uh, I think. It'll be decided if not Vegas, um, you know wherever if, or if they have the last race in Pomona or if they take it back to Vegas or wherever they go. I, I would imagine it's going to be decided there. Yeah, it certainly looks
0: that way at this at the point
1: of this recording. Uh, what does it say?
0: Or uh, August twenty sixth, Anthony Bertozzi is your leader uh, on paper uh, by virtue in large part of his recent national win at Brainerd. By the way, uh, if you missed Anthony's Winner's circle interview and I don't know really know how many people watch those like I was live for it. it's worth going back to like we got to get Anthony on the show. he's so fun. It's <laughs> a blast and Anthony just went off he he went from like heartfelt uh, you know like really touching stuff to the next thing I know he's talking about the zoo and asking why they don't have stripper poles out there like it was vintage anthony was awesome you gotta check that out uh, okay. but he is your leader right now yeah yeah he said he was actually gonna supply one next year if he comes back um <laughs> so anthony is your leader on paper in super stock and in top dragster uh it looked i think i even said this on the show like a month or so ago anthony looked like in pretty commanding position in top dragster at that time and then Our man, Danny Nelson, Big Jed, he went on his best Austin Williams impersonation. Danny Nelson went to Topeka in the midst of a a ho-hum season, right? Danny had had gone a few rounds, hadn't really been in a final, hadn't lost early, but just kind of plodding his way through the top dragster season. He makes his way to the double divisional in Topeka. He wins the first one. He comes back around. He's runner up in the second one and then he proceeds to win the national event at topeka as well and basically on the strength almost independently of the three events at that one facility daniel nelson is very much in the mix and if you remember uh, a year ago anthony Bertozzi won the championship uh, in 2019 it was daniel nelson A year ago, Anthony Bertozzi wins that championship by less than a round over Danny Nelson, right? Nelson had the opportunity to win the round, and then Bradley Johnson had the opportunity to win the round. Anthony ends up on top, but those two just got done battling this out. And they are on the fast track to do it again. Uh, Holden Larice made a significant move at Brainerd as well. He he treated Brainerd the way that that Danny and Austin treated Topeka. Uh, Holden Larice wins the midweek divisional at Brainerd and then is runner-up in the national event. Uh, obviously, bolstered his significantly and moves up into contention. Uh, but again, like what looked like not necessarily a sure thing, but looked like it may have been a, a relatively easy ride to a back-to-back title for Anthony Bertozzi now looks to be anything, but like he's got serious competition at the top and top dragster.
1: Yeah. Bertozzi did, uh, did get out front there early, but you know, again, he's uh he's a guy that doesn't let pressure get to him. That's obvious by his, uh, I guess, two dozen or so championships. So, This is a guy that's going to be hard to handle, obviously, uh, talented, great equipment and the right attitude. But, you know, Danny Nelson, what can you say about, about Willie? I mean, this guy, he builds dragsters for a living, but you know, he plays a lot of poker and races a lot and just seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, two years ago, I remember us talking about, I remember it very well. Like Danny just come out of nowhere and went on a four or five race stretch there where he He just dominated. Right? Yeah. And, and put himself in position to win that. And uh, I think last year was a little more consistent road for him. But this year, he was just kind of back there being real quiet and hearing three or four race stretch back in the middle of it again. So this is going to be fun to watch. You're talking about two crafty veterans and then holding Larisse bringing his talent and equipment in the mix. Uh, this, this is going to be another great battle there. And really, when you look at if those three are the guys that are going to decide this I really couldn't ask for better folks i mean they, these are three really good dudes that uh, that are going to have fun with this chase that's yeah, going to be another one that's really really exciting to watch uh i feel like
0: his uh, touch on super gas a little bit too i don't want to jinx myself but oh my gosh we're going an, to talk about this yeah yeah we got to talk about this the okay. uh <laughs> It's been a it's been a dream season in Supergas and uh yes. for, for me personally. And uh highlighted probably by uh by last week's trip to Brainerd, I uh I went to Topeka, lost a really good race to Jim Rebka in round three, triple zero decision. it my, my my wife even said like, you don't seem upset about this. Like I, I lost by triple zero five in, in round three. I'm like, Well, you gotta you gotta consider that. I've had a lot of these this year and it seems like particularly in super gas, I've been on the good end of all of them. Like it was, we were due to have one go the other way. Right. Uh, so I felt like I took that in stride really well, made my way up to Brainerd midweek divisional, uh, made it to the semifinals lost to our man, Jim Rod cap, shouts to Jim Rod cap, Jim Rod cap. He kicked my butt in the semis, big jet smoke me. Jim Rod cap has like, Oh uh, I don't know what you would call the Aaron Brainerd specifically for the division race, but like he couldn't breathe; like it was miserable, and the barometer's like twenty-six something. Jim Rod Cap in that mess went nine ninety at one seventy-eight, wow. and it's one thing to be really fast in one of the super classes, but Jim Rod knows how to use it. He played me like a fiddle really impressive. It made me want to go really fast if I could make people look that dumb. He made me look really dumb. It was really cool. It, it was, yeah, like, yeah, you, you just, you if the, the right driver with the right mindset can do some pretty cool stuff with a fast car, he did some pretty tricky stuff. So kudos to him. He knocks me off in the semis, then loses to John LaBoose Jr. in the final. LaBoose, who is my biggest competition uh, at this point for the championship, Proceeds to rattle off 10 consecutive round wins, wins the division race, advances to the semifinal of the national event, uh, where he fell to day 11th. Thankfully on my end, LaBouche won the points meet semi, the national, I flipped the script completely. I semi the points meet and then won the national event. So all long story short, that puts me over 700 points. I have 702 right now and if you've heard any of the 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 nerd out that i've that i've done at any point in the past uh as i always say 650 is a really strong number if you put up 650 you should win the national championship if you put up 700 it's all but guaranteed like no one has lost a championship no one has has not won the championship with 700 plus points in fact since uh the points uh, structure was updated in like the mid nineties, I'll say like 94, 95, somewhere in there. There have only been 21, 700 point seasons, all of which resulted in world championships. So historically I'm in really good shape. And I would like to think uh, it's difficult at this point because I'm improving decent races. um, But I would like to think that I could still improve and and raise that score a little bit more. Um, But the flip side of this is I think the only racer that could legitimately catch me, and I mean mathematically at this point nobody's really eliminated, but the, the racer with the best chance is John Labuschini Jr. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with that name, Jed, but like he's pretty good at this. Um, he's he don't probably. Suck. No, he does not suck. He is. Uh, I, I think you could make a valid argument that over the course of the last decade, he's been the most successful superclass racer in the country and you could probably make the argument for the last two decades he's been one of if not the best sportsman racers in the country so never like a comfortable feeling uh, with, with with him trying to chase you down especially And the last thing I want to do right now i'm I'm not' um, I won't allow myself to believe that someone like John Labusch Jr. listens to our show. I doubt that that's the case. But if I gave any type of bulletin board material here, I'm confident that it would get back to him. The last thing that I need is John Labusch Jr. to think that I think that he can't do it cuz he could. But again, if we go back to it, it would be unprecedented. It's never been done. So I th- I think I'm in pretty good shape and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um yeah, everything has just kind of fallen my way. So it's been awesome.
1: Luca. I appreciate you uh, talking about how you lost to uh, Brooks Kepka or, or whoever that was you lost to it, it Topeka and, you know, Jim Cap how he embarrassed you and, and all that other stuff. And LaBoose, we know how great LaBoose is. We talked about it at length here on the show. But you have scored more than 700 points in August with steel an opportunity to improve. I mean, it's, you talked about it and you did it humbly. I understand, but it's unheard of. It's unheard of. It's just, it's, it's not possible. It's not possible to do in today's racing environment with all the talent and great equipment and, you know, change of venues and weathers and all those other things you got to fight. It's just, it's not possible and you've done it. And, here's, here's and I I feel like it has, not you know, it's been a wonderful performance by you thus far, but I feel like there's a little part of you that knows, you know, yeah, some things go my way, but it also could have been better. And that I think keeps you driven to to stay focused on mission and, and it's going to allow you to stay focused on getting those wind lights and accomplishing the ultimate goal.
0: Here's just a little bit of perspective that I think we can all appreciate for for how well this has gone to this point. So in NHRA competition at Lucas Oil Series events, that's divisional events, you get to claim your best five out of eight. At this point, I've been to six, so I'm just throwing away one. I have two races left. Okay, So that means of the five that I'm counting right now, I, I have two races at which to improve upon them. I'm trying to improve a semi-final loss, Jed. That's tough. That's the worst that I've done to this point <laughs> <laughs> on the individual side: two wins, two runner-ups, one semi. That tough to get better, better than that. Uh, I got, I got a little bit of information, and this is, uh, I just think this is cool stuff to nerd out on. So I mentioned before, uh, Brainerd puts me over 700 points. At this point, I am the. It's the. 21st time since the mid 90s that a sportsman driver has crested the 700 point mark that list there's not as many duplicate names on it as you would expect okay there is one name that appears on that list of 21 four times trivia time i think this is probably a layup but any guesses at arguably the greatest sportsman racer of All time or certainly our generation.
1: Yeah. So obviously I've got a little tip here and, um, that was Peter Biondo. This might be the most impressive record
0: in sportsman drag racing. And I think we've mentioned this before, but it's been a couple of years. So, like I said, 21 times that an NHRA competitor has crested 700 points. It's pretty rare error, right? The top, not one, not two three the best three scores ever the best three seasons uh, maybe not ever of the last 25 plus years all belong to one man and that man big jed is peter biondo peter biondo has the terminator the terminator has what i think will go down 50 years from now like i cannot imagine someone ever having a better season than Peter did in Stock Eliminator in 2005. He has 792 points. To put that into perspective, of the eight races that you get to claim for points, Peter lost a round, (laughs) one. He won seven races and I think like lost in the quarterfinals of the other one, 792. No, I, I cannot imagine anyone will ever press that. I think I could win the remaining races on my ledger no way. I think I would have to win the remaining races on my ledger, all four of them, to best that. Like it's just not ever going to happen. And if that wasn't enough, the second best score ever, 765, Peter Biondo, super stock, 1996. The third best score ever, 743, Peter Biondo, stock eliminator, 1997. He's got the best three. There is no other name on this list of 21 that appears more than twice. And Peter Biondo has the best. Three. He's on the list four times and has the top three.
1: <laughs> yeah, Luke, and doing that in classes where you can get just flat out ran. Yeah, right. And lose. You, you, you <laughs> didn't even matter how good you were. You could just end up in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and some dude got his stuff hopped up and can outrun you a couple of tents, and you just can't win. And he still was able to accomplish that. Uh, it's really incredible.
0: Trivia time. This is going to go down as one of the crowning achievements of my life. I am one of now the one of three names on this list to appear twice. Right. When I won the Gas championship in 2014, 731 points. Once again, Crest 700. One other racer has gone over that 700 mark on two occasions. Trivia time. This
1: one's gettable, but not easy. So if it's not easy but gettable, I I think you know I'm gonna have to take out the Fletchers and the Richardsons and those type guys. So, and
0: it's a fair point here that the I think all of Scotty's titles and the majority of Edmund's titles were on the old point system. So that's not necessarily apples to apples. But yes, so think since 1995, multi-time champion, multi-time runaway champ.
1: Well, we've talked about Stenett and how many times he's won it. Was he one of them?
0: Stinnett's name is on the list, but once, two thousand five Super Comp.
1: Okay. Well,
0: then I'm out of guesses. Okay, the other to do to to the other name that is on this list twice: Jimmy DeFrank. Oh, uh two thousand nine Super Stock, seven hundred and twelve points. Nineteen ninety nine Super Stock, seven hundred and twenty. Uh, I think every name on this list is a household name. Um, some of them take you back a little bit. The fourth best score of all time, you know, be, behind Peter's Monopoly at the top. How about Al Corda, nineteen ninety-seven Stock wow. Eliminator? Yes, seven thirty-eight. Then you've got pretty big names: in here. Brad Burton, Bruno Massel, Frank Aragona, Austin Williams, David Rampey, Dan Fletcher, Gary Stinnett, Lee Zane, Joe Santangelo. Uh, yeah, it's it's a who's who. So, yeah, I just thought that was that's fun
1: stuff. Like seven hundred is uh, it's pretty rare air. So, so Massel staged uh, the the year he he won all that he won that championship.
0: He did get it staged. Yeah, okay, he did, good.
1: He did get good. it staged.
0: Oof. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's steer away from that a little bit. <laughs> so uh, that's an interesting. Like that was a competition controversial. Eliminator. You know, I feel like in Comp Eliminator, just because. There's less rounds. Like Usually you win a comp race, it's five rounds or less. But of 718 points, Like that's nearly a perfect score. And it's not the highest comp score ever. Doug Dahl in 16. I think Doug was perfect, though. Didn't Doug win all eight? 730 in comp seems crazy. I think he got to win all eight. I, I got to look that up. They, they, may been, remember that. they may have been perfect. All right. Uh, enough of that. Couple other just kind of randoms from this what two, three week stretch on the NHRA tour since the last time we talked, Big Jed. Did you happen to see the stock eliminator winner from the Topeka national event? Chris, I'm gonna say Knudsen. I think that's what you say. I think that's the way Reinhart was saying it. So I'll stick with Reinhardt. Chris Knudsen is the man. This might, you know how I love the box score? This, I do. this might be the most impressive box score in the history of box scores. Chris Knudsen wins Stock Eliminator, Heartland Park, Topeka. In round three, Chris Knudsen faced off with my boy, the original Tex-Mex, Jeff Lopez. Chris was 34 on the tree. I don't know what happened on that run because that was his worst light by nearly three hundredths of a second. In the five other elimination rounds, Chris Knudsen was double O-X. Every freaking time.
1: Yeah, Luke, his other five rounds did not total his one reaction against (laughs) Lopez. Close. Uh, It's incredible. And and then when you factor in the class that he runs. Yeah. What's that other pedal do, Chris? He knows. I don't. This is a (laughs) three-pedal automobile. And this dude is killing it. Uh, is this, this that? If it not, if it's not the best average ever, it's still the most impressive to me, simply because of of how he did it. I mean, with three pedals. I mean, this is this is Kevin Helms' stuff. This is uh, this is incredible. I mean, this guy's letting go of a clutch and doing it on time every stinking time. You mentioned that Chris Knudsen's. Other
0: reaction times put together didn't match the 034 that he had against Jeff Lopez in round four. That's impressive. How about the fact that he's 009 in the final and it just killed his average. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was his worst. It was his second worst light by double first round. Chris Knutson. Perfect trips round two, 004. Okay. So let's just say big Jed you're off the bottom forget the fact that you're letting go of a clutch pedal you come up perfect in 004 what kind of adjustment are you making for round three
1: uh my body does it for me lights me up 50 yeah i mean i don't i don't really make an adjustment i just uh, probably back off 100 rpms if i'm if i'm foot breaking but i mean i mean he might could chip it down 100 but i doubt he did I, you know it was just wfo every time he let go so um very Five impressive. Third
0: round, he has that he has that brutal miss, that 34 that I would take on the bottom in round four. Gets gets through that. Comes back for the semis, 004 alongside Brett Spear, and then that you know, yeah, so so mediocre 009 in the final. Wow.
1: Yeah, and Randy <laughs> wow. Lynn. Randy Lynn, she drove very well, you know, 33, 36, 13, 35, 17, very consistent, and just got a little much of it there in the final, turn it pink, but uh obviously. You know, you can't help but think Randy Lynn had looked at the runs for Chris Knudsen and <laughs> was like, holy crap, you know, my, my 17's gonna gonna suck here. So I gotta I gotta step on a little bit and probably got a little too much of it there, but very, very impressive. Without question. A couple other quick news and notes from the
0: NHRA tour. Uh, there was the two national events, Topeka and Brainerd um divisional seemingly everywhere uh, i think there's like five or six divisional since the last time that we talked just a couple of uh, notes that stood out jeff strickland alabama red he he, he told me one time he could hit a golf ball to mississippi but y'all can still claim him right on the state line he's in alabama so he's your boy uh, levels a lot at, at the red bay alabama that's right uh, doubles like a lot in the same two classes that he doubled as a world champion just a few years ago, Top Dragster and Stock Eliminator, and uh, that those wins alone <clears throat> make him uh, a threat once again uh, in both categories, specifically in Stock. It looks like Jeff's got a pretty good shot in Stock Eliminator. <clears throat> stock, kind of similar to Super Comp pretty wide open. I think uh, we'll break this down in a future episode. If if I if I had to lay odds right now, I think Joe Santangelo is probably the slight favorite, but Strick's in there. Wes Neely's in there. And Blake Hickman, who uh, was runner-up to Strick at this event at Galat. Uh, again, I, if I had to pick a favorite, I'd say it's Joe Santangelo. But if you're looking for a, a dark horse in Stock Eliminator, Blake Hickman, a guy that uh, just kind of started off the season running the Division 2 stuff, and was in multiple finals early, just keep stacking on points like he's a real player. He will almost certainly be a top 10 finisher, is a threat to contend for the championship. So Strick doubled uh, at Galat, ran the table at Galat. Phil Unruh very nearly did the same thing at Great Bend a few weeks back. He swept the super gas category at Great Bend. He won the shootout. I think like an eight car qualified field on whatever that was Friday or Saturday night, and then comes back to win the super gas main event as well. And as if that were not enough, he also was runner up in super stock. So busy weekend for one Phil Unruh, uh, but pretty impressive. Oh, by the way, uh, Unruh's final round victim in Supergas, the aforementioned Jim Rodcap, Jim Rodcap who's had an impressive run as well lately. He hasn't got to hold the trophy, but this was his three-week stretch. Runners up to Phil Unruh at Great Bend. Advances to the semifinal at Topeka National Event, and then runner up to John LaBoose at Brainerd Divisional Event. Uh, pretty impressive run for, uh, for a guy that uh, that we have a little bit of fun with here on the show, Jim Rodcap.
1: Yeah, good stuff, Luke. Uh, a couple of uh, great guys there, Phil Unruh and Jim Rodcap, and, and of course, uh, shouts to my homer. Uh, my homeboy, Jeff Strickland, Alabama tied. Uh, Is Strick
0: carrying like, especially within the NHRA tour. I, I mean, you got Pratt, you got Brad, right. With Rampy's retirement, like who's carrying the Alabama flag. It's gotta be those two, right?
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're the only two guys in Alabama that run any of that stuff. So, um, so yeah, I would say they're carrying it, but they're carrying it well. So I appreciate those guys. Um, Matter of fact, my boy, uh, uh Brad, bad Brad Ploward just it uh, up that 10 K, uh, stock, super stock combo, uh, that he was uh, at that, um, uh, where Ohio Valley maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. So yeah, those guys are bad boys, but, uh, I'm sure you remember when we were talking about like dream cars, cars, we would love to to race. And I said pretty much anything that Phil Unruh has ever yes. built or yeah. owned, uh, Dude has great equipment, man. I mean, it's incredible. So I uh, like to see those guys get it done. But uh, impressive list of winners and a great breakdown, Luke, of the, the points battles. And, again, even if we're not guys that typically follow this type stuff, you got us excited you got us ready to hear how these things play out and, and we'll talk plenty more about all that in future shows. It's going to be awesome stuff. So looking forward to those points battles and certainly looking forward to seeing how you uh, complete the journey that you're on and, and, and get that third championship and, in, uh, in your resume or on your resume. So wishing you luck there, my friend, although you don't need much of it. Much
0: appreciated. Uh, shout out. That's close. That's. I think that's all I got.
1: Yeah, we're gonna wrap it up right here. This is uh, this is the end of the show. I definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. It's good to be back with you, Luke, and uh, and doing a combo show again. It's Good stuff. And uh, you know, uh, we certainly want you, the listener, to let us know what you enjoyed or didn't enjoy about this. If the the self promotion or talking about our our own racing or our own promoted races, if, if you're sick of that and hated it. Uh, let us know, but do it just kind of privately. Uh, if you liked something and you want the world to know about it, put it right there on our Facebook page, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, ready right there for you to post for everybody to see. If you got a private message you need to send to us about something, producer Mark, catch that on the backside and we'll try to address it as well. But we certainly appreciate each and every one of you tuning in this far and we'd love to hear from you and let, uh, let us know that number one, you're listening and number two, what you think about the show. Luke it is shouts time
0: shouts to garrett griffith shouts to the whiners and the haters shouts to the haters oh yeah, yeah. all right that's back to right. our uh, i don't think we have haters we definitely have whiners it's back to our <laughs> promotion eh, occasionally shouts <laughs> to jim rod cap jim Rodcap. jim rod cap and Jim Capiello. Shouts to both Jim Rebka and Brooks Kepka. Shouts to Al Corda Shouts yes. to Brad Plourd, Jeff Strickland, David Rampey, Nick Sabin, Roll tide. Oh. Shouts to Greg Stanfield. I've talked about Greg Stanfield for like three years on this show. And it, as as fate would have it, like you'd think our paths would have crossed at some point. I've never met Greg Stanfield. I met Greg Via Justin Lamb at Topeka. And I got to admit, I was disappointed, Big Jed. That dude is way too nice. I wanted him to, like, he kind of looked at me funny when I said my name. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know who you are. And then was just like the most humble, grateful. I wanted him to just, I don't know, I, I, I wanted him to bring up something and be like, ah, you know, like, I, I think like he and Aaron ran in the final of, a national event somewhere and like we didn't talk about it on the show and I got a little bit of flack for it and I just assumed that that got back to him like I figured there was something there's some kind of reason that like I don't know that he wouldn't like me or that he would be a little bit standoffish none of that like salt of the earth dude way too nice I left feeling bad for not saying more nice things about Greg Stanfield.
1: and he so- didn't he didn't say yeah Luke Bogacki man uh, your podcast great I really enjoy listening I try to catch it every week
0: you, you know there it was loud in the pits big jed he may have said all of that and i just missed it but no i i, I, uh. didn't, I didn't catch that part mm. what he said was yeah i mean that that podcast list to like uh, that guy that you do it with
1: man he's just stunned. that guy's funny <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure you're the guy that does that podcast with jed that's yeah See the guy that does the one with the the guy reads the Manscaped Reads? <laughs> yeah, that's what I expected to hear. Now that's good stuff.
0: See, now it's funny because when I talked to John Force, that's exactly what he
1: told me. Oh, yeah. John and I go way back. <laughs> yeah, he really enjoys the show. Got to get him on someday. All right, Luke, that's it. We are done. Great list of shouts. What a great show. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, again, if you uh, if you want to reach out to us on the Facebook page, do so. If you like to tweet, and you know I'm heavy tweeter, uh, Luke uh, gets on there from time to time as well. Reach out to us right there on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We hope you reach out early and often. Catch I did tweet it, Bruno. Soon. Like you got on, Bruno. I tweeted it, Bruno. Really? I did. Hmm. I must it
0: just know. so happened. I, I, some of our listeners know, I, I write a column for National Drag Show occasionally. I think it comes out every two months or something like that. And it just so happened that the column that I wrote, the most recent column that I wrote, was about the, uh, I don't know, like for lack of a better word, the, I, I didn't use the word stupidity, but the 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 needless nature of staging battles, like I just think they're kind of silly. That's what yeah. the column was about, and that was the national dragster that was on the stand at Topeka when Bruno and Mason McGehee have what's probably the most epic burn down of our lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Right. So everybody's talking about it, and I'm like, that's actually the national dragster that, like, I wrote that, and I just wrote about how dumb it was to have staging battles. So I felt the need to somewhat clarify, but I tagged Bruno in the post and was basically like, hey it was kind of silly he didn't respond really
1: no mm. so it was a loss <laughs> yeah i can't believe you don't like staging battles i mean who doesn't like two guys sitting there in a pissing contest holding up from the an
0: entertainment standpoint <laughs> it's, it's really fine good. from a competition standpoint like what's the point but you know teach their own <laughs>
1: yeah i <hate> you <laughs> all right that's it uh again guys we appreciate you listening thanks for tuning in thus far and, and making it this far in the show hope you enjoyed it we look forward to talking to you again real soon about more sportsman drag racing if you know then you know it's those long nights early mornings I'm rolling down these old bags